So here's a question for you. Would you benefit from ongoing support to improve your personal and professional leadership skills and ultimately achieve greater effectiveness and satisfaction in your work and your life? The Turning Points Leaders Community offers you daily support for your pressing leadership questions, ongoing bite-sized leadership development content to hone your leadership skills, and monthly live coaching calls where you receive individualized coaching from me specific to your situation so that you're able to work through breakdowns and get back on track to doing your best work and living your best life. This is the most robust online leadership coaching program around for an incredible value of only $147 a month. And as a podcast listener, you can join now and receive your first 90 days for $90. That's a savings of $351. You get access to absolutely everything, including the live coaching calls with me. Come check it out and see if this is the place for you to help you to take your leadership competencies to the next level. So let me give you a bit.ly link to make it easy for you to access this special offer. So here it is, bit.ly forward slash turning points 90. That is bit.ly forward slash turning points nine zero. Just pop that URL into your browser and it will take you right to the page to access the Turning Points Leaders community for only 90 days, or let's say $90 for your first 90 days. I can't wait to see you there. So let's get started with the podcast. What would it look like to claim your space as a leader and make a positive impact in your organization or community? Get ready to lead courageously and authentically from the core of who you are. Your leadership coach, Dr. Kristen Albert, will help you recognize how you are uniquely gifted to lead in your spheres of influence and help you become equipped and confident to handle the challenges of leadership. Take your leadership to the next level and create your turning points in leadership. Let's get started. Here's Chris. Hello, and welcome to Turning Points in Leadership. I'm Dr. Kristen Albert, and I am thrilled that you joined us today. In my Turning Points in Leadership podcast, I interview individuals who are changing the image of a leader, having to be someone at the top of the corporate ladder, or even holding a title of privilege to be able to make a difference. Instead, my guests are leading change in bold and inspiring ways, and I want you, my audience, to be inspired by them and to consider how you can become a catalyst for change in your spheres of influence. And so today, I want to welcome my guest, Isaac Etter. Isaac is a social entrepreneur, father, avid learner, and leader. He's the founder of multiple organizations and companies, and he's been bringing his ideas to life since he was 15 years old. Currently, Isaac is the CEO and founder of Identity, a startup focused on using technology to help adoptive and foster parents thrive. He's also the founder and principal consultant at Etter Consulting, a small business strategy agency. Isaac has focused his time towards two areas that bring him immense joy, which are innovating the adoption and foster care field and helping people to start companies. So thank you again, Isaac, for being a guest on my podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm I'm really excited for our conversation today. Isaac and I met at a co-working space here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Inspire Business Community. Yes. And we have gotten to know each other professionally through um, these twice monthly mastermind sessions that are offered through Inspire. And so I've gotten a chance to observe Isaac and his brilliant brain and his innovative thoughts and amazing work that he's doing. Can you tell folks a bit about yeah. the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll start with... Uh... I'll start with Edder Consulting and go to identity. So uh, Edder Consulting um, was originally how I started um, working in adoption and foster care. But when I started identity, I had this LLC called Edder Consulting that really didn't have a purpose anymore. And so over the last two years, more and more of my friends have come to me saying they're starting businesses and they wanted help. And so instead of just having an LLC that did nothing and had no purpose, uh, what I did was I just transformed it into something else. And so since I've been working and starting businesses and working with nonprofits for so long, 
areas of like introductory finance, introductory go-to-market strategy, uh, helping people define their uh, ideal customer and really get a vision for the company that they started uh, has just been something that um, I kind of just accidentally gained a skill for by doing it so many times. And so after working with a couple of my friends and then friends of theirs, I decided to formalize the process. And uh, now I call Letter Consulting probably my hobby company because it's something that uh, keeps that shiny object syndrome at bay. Um, we all have that when we love starting things. I love starting things and I could start a business probably every week if I wanted to. Um, but it's also a terrible trait for entrepreneurs. And so instead of doing that, now I get the honor of sitting with, um, a friend, a friend of a friend or somebody who happened to hear about me, uh, maybe once or twice a month and just really think, uh, really creatively and innovatively about their company and help them envision what could be. And that, uh, brings me a ton of joy. Yeah, I love that idea of actually having this side hustle that because when you're when you're working on your your main thing, yeah, to be able to actually take some some brain power and be exactly. um, engaged in conversations with other folks yeah. and start to dream about things for them and to exactly. help them. I would think that that probably fills your fills your oh, cup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's it's just, again, like the shiny object syndrome. But then also, I've noticed that it becomes almost like a workout for me in entrepreneurship. Because like at Identity, where we're creating products and resources for adoptive and foster families, whenever we're launching, even if it's a guide for parents, uh, we go through the same process that a new entrepreneur would go through, right? So we're developing a guide on a certain top, maybe it's trauma-informed parenting, we're thinking about the ideal customer. We're thinking, what's a go-to-market strategy that gets this into those people's hands? Mm-hmm. We're thinking about marketing. And so when I'm working with people through Editor Consulting, I almost consider it like doing push-ups for my own business yeah. because it's it's still getting those reps in. It's looking at somebody else's business. Maybe it's giving me these new inputs into identity. And so, you know, it's very small. I'm dedicated. It's, I, only, I only offer 20 hours a month max. And so it's not something that's very encompassing because I know distractions mm-hmm. uh, also make entrepreneurs weak. And so uh, I love to stay focused on what we're doing at Identity, but these 20 hours a month that I give to it um, really can be very exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really exciting. So tell me about Identity. Tell yeah, yeah. tell me, tell us yeah. about Identity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Identity. Uh, like I said, Air Consulting was the first company I did that really did uh, child welfare stuff. And so at Air Consulting, we were originally just doing trainings around the country for adoptive and foster parents. Um, and in 2021, um, I started to just feel like that, it, this is going to sound bad, but I really just started to feel like it didn't mean anything. Hmm. And so I, I got almost discouraged because one of the biggest issues I feel like for adoptive and foster parents is that they get these great trainings in the beginning of their journey. But then as they are going through their journey, you know, you're five, 10 years down the line, and all that information you learned when your child was first adopted, slowly and slowly, it goes more and more towards the back of your mind, uh, just because life happens, things happen. When we when we, st- when we read a book when we're 15, we don't really remember that strongly at 25 or 30. And so my heart started to kind of hurt over that because I was like, oh, man, I feel like these trainings are so impactful. And I feel like people are engaging in them and learning, growing from them, I wanted to figure out how we could prolong the experience. So instead of thinking about it in an isolated framework, thinking about what if we could create an experience for adoptive parents very regularly, that they could learn, grow, and engage in a vulnerable space that could see them as parents who are not perfect, who are going to fail, but give them strategies and tools to learn and grow. But I wanted that to go throughout their parenting journey. Wow. Um, And so that's really what identity came to be. What we're really working on is a post-placement support app for adoptive and foster parents. And so we've been creating these resources that are eventually going to live on that platform. Um, one of them are called our Practical Guide Series, which are, um, they can be anywhere from 40 to 60 page guidebooks that walk parents through a niche topic in adoption. So the two that are out right now are Practical Guide to Transracial Adoption, which is interracial adoption uh, that I wrote. And then a practical guide to black hair care, which is one of the first resources of its kind. A lot of kids in our foster care system um, can sometimes even go overnight or for a week in a home that doesn't know how to do their hair. 
And so this becomes a critical resource for children in foster care who may go a week um, as a three-year-old going to preschool or kindergarten if they're five um, without their hair done. And, and that's not encouraging for the child. Um, and it doesn't make you feel good to send a child out the door like that either. Yeah. Um, so this is a tool we think will really be impactful for the child welfare system. Um, and then two more coming in the fall, a practical guide to adopting after infertility and a practical guide to trauma-informed parenting. And these guides are also what we call lifelong partners. And so they typically have a category in them that goes by age range mm -hmm. so that parents can pull it out at different points in their parenting journey. It's really, to me, it's essential that we don't create one-off tools that can only be used once. We want things that parents feel like, man, when I was 10, this, when our kid was 10, this was helpful. And when our kid was 18, this was helpful mm -hmm. um, because parenting is a lifelong journey. It's not a five or two or mm -hmm. 10 year journey. How did you become so wise? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I think I, well, one, I grew up with educators. So okay. I grew up with two parents who developed curriculums, who created stuff, who were creatives themselves in a way. And then I also just, I, this has been the last, um, actually six months has been the first time in probably six or seven years that I've actually looked back at all. Wow. And, um, and it's because when, so, you know, I have a two-year-old, uh, like long partnership, like I'm entering kind of a new phase of life where you're thinking about more kids, you're thinking about life and growth. Mm -hmm. And um, I looked around at other people my age and realized that they had like deeper friendships than I did. They had maybe better relationships with their families than I did. And that started to bother and upset me. Hmm. And as I looked back, I realized that for probably like six or seven years, I put my head down and, and I really did work. And there is a side of me that will never not be grateful for that. You don't gain perspective without constantly doing the repetition of looking, hmm. reading something, comparing it to something else, figuring out your analysis and going, meeting with that agency and this agency and that parent and that parent, all that time spent in has led to something that I think we're going to do that's incredible at identity. But what that also does is isolates you a little bit. And so I look back with so much love at my younger self, the 18-year-old who spent eight hours a day at Prince Street Cafe, cold emailing every adoption agency. Oh um, and, and I did that for years. And then I also look back and wonder if I should tell that guy to chill out a little bit <laughs> and and maybe like, you know, go on that beach trip with your friends or or go to that family dinner or go to that family reunion. And it's double-sided, right? I can send a podcast like this and you can be like, how are you so wise? I can be like, well, it's because I didn't look up for five mm -hmm. years of my life. And I can feel both love for myself for doing that and also a tinge of regret. Mm -hmm. And so now in this next phase, uh, I look to have the same discipline to grow, but in a healthier way. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing all of that. Just going back to the app that you're designing yeah. and the the intentionality around having incremental learning over a long span of time. Yeah, I think that is just brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, because, as you said. At the beginning, you get all kinds of support. Yeah. And then you have none. Yeah. Right. You're off to and the you're, races. You're off to the races. You're on your own. And being a foster or adoptive parent has so many nuances to it that are non is non-traditional a good yeah. word? No, that's very true. I would say that non-traditional. Non-traditional. Yeah. And so if they've not gone through it themselves. They don't know what they don't know. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> and so just to have this resource over time to help them be intentional about continuing to be the best yeah. parent that they can be yeah. and through the lens of being educated by people who know Absolutely. the system, who understand psychologically, systematically, yeah, um, exactly. you know, all of the things that yeah. go into that this journey that yeah exactly really? yeah our tagline and and really what i feel like i'm learning to be even more of an evangelist for with everybody that we work with and hire is that our tagline is uh equipping parents empowering children mm. and i think especially as we've been kind of going through a new phase like 
bringing on more people, having more people help out. And that's been a learning curve for me. And in my growth is really stretching myself to manage more and more people. But I've noticed that that equipping parents, empowering children has really become like this yardstick for the company Mm -hmm. Uh, because we can't work with somebody who doesn't believe that by better equipping parents will empower children. And we can't produce anything that doesn't equip parents to better empower children. Mm. And so I feel like identity as a whole is starting to really lean in to that being what makes us unique, what makes us different, what makes us, I think, courageous um, in this journey too, because that's what that's what this field needs more than anything. You need parents that are equipped with the right tools, resources, and support to empower their children Mm -hmm. because adopted and foster kids, they are having a unique experience and that doesn't mean anything negative about them. It just means that those parents need different tools to support them. Um, And without us putting in that work to provide parents with those tools, we only get a mixed bag of results. Mm -hmm. Some that are positive, some that are really negative, some that are in the middle, some that have a bit of both. And what we want is for the overall overwhelming outcome to be whether my parents were perfect or not, they did recognize the challenges that I was going to face. They had the tools and the language to support me through it. And even if there were all these exterior problems that are just coming from people, I can say without a doubt, when it came to my adoption or being in foster care, they had the tools and the support and the language to help me through that. Mm. And that's really important, I think, for adopted yeah. and foster youth. And I imagine you are you are big on data. and Yeah. And, Absolutely. And validating your yeah. your work and the outcomes of your work. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think it's, yeah, that's the only way you really start to see the needle move up mm-hmm. is if parents are really feeling like, oh, wow, this actually really helped me a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's fabulous. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I have admired your work from the first time we met at one of those masterminds and just. Likewise. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to come back to your statement a little bit later about courage. Yeah. Okay. That's going to come back yeah, a little course. bit later in, in our conversation. Um, <clears throat> so I'm curious, what is one of your earliest memories of leading or yeah. of leadership? Absolutely. Well, I'm the oldest of, there's five of us total. So four under, under me. Okay. Um, and so a lot of my earliest memories of leadership are really all with my siblings, mm. um, whether it was like leading us to play a game or, I remember there's a specific memory of my sister. You know, there was a boy picking on her when we went to school um, and me, you know, standing up for her and defending her. And that that I think was me, you know, being that big brother, leading my sister, making sure that no harm came her way. And so those are all my earliest memories of leadership is really just with my sisters, uh, with my sister and my brothers and, and trying to, whether it was protect them or just guide them. Mm. Um in unique ways. Yeah. And how old were you? Can you give us just like a, how old you were in the. Yeah. So I was adopted when I was two, but my sister was then born a year later. So she's three years under me technically. Okay. Um, Even though we kind of, we kind of came into the family a year apart. Oh, Um, So I really haven't known much like, yeah, exactly. It's a unique because of adoption. Um, So three years apart, but really only one year apart in the family, I guess. Um, And then everybody is aged out. By about two to three years. Okay. So mm-hmm. next brother is about two years under that. And then the next brother is three years. And I think the next brother is three years. Okay. Um, and so I'm the oldest and I'm going to be 25 next month. And so um, the youngest is 15. Wow. Yeah. That is. Uh, and I'm just remembering <laughs> in in the um, introduction, I said you'd founded multiple organizations and that number 15. So since you were 15, I was thinking you founded 15 organizations. Yeah, since, no, you were... since I was 15. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think it's been closer to like six or seven. Yeah. In the past no, 10 years. Oh, only not, six or yeah, seven. Yeah. Not, not including the like throwaway ones because I did have a phase where I started a bunch of little companies to okay. test, test things. Interesting. Um, but I'd say there's been, um, so there's been five that were like really like they were encompassing hmm. um, and then two that were medium and then probably a handful that were just 
I was just bored playing around basically okay. like eBay side hustles, drop shipping stuff, mm-hmm. stuff that you do because you see it online. You're like, does this really work? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I decided to learn and it, it's oddly enough. I think all that stuff is helpful to learn because now I implement the strategies when we sell stuff yes. at identity. And so it's been cool. And landing on identity then as a passion. Yeah. Really anchored to to your experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And really for the past like five years, that's what I've really wanted to do. Yeah. You know, the other things have just been to create money. Like I, I started an organization that got fairly big in Lancaster called Safe House Lancaster. Okay. Um, and then that one merged in with YWCA Lancaster. Mm-hmm. And so now all of our programs and one of our employees lives there. Um, oh. And so like, that's been a really cool, that was my first kind of exit in a sense. Um, and being able to watch something that I created still live on after me. Wow. Um, and so that was a unique experience that I really enjoyed. But part of that even happening was because I wanted to get back to the child welfare work. Mm. Um, that has been what I, where I really wanted to be um, for the longest time. Yeah. Just that social, social enterprise, yeah, giving exactly. back. I really admire the heart that that takes to, yeah, to focus you. on that. That's not something people do. Yeah. Right. Oh no! Absolutely. We don't. We look at. We look in our careers at how are we gonna. How are we gonna earn a living? You yeah. know. How are we gonna bring home the, and not really. You know. What am I gonna. What am I gonna be. What am I gonna do. How many yeah. people really focus on what's important to them, their values, and which we're gonna get to in just a, yeah, a minute or I two. <laughs> so I'm curious. In what way did your your family, your culture, your cultural influences, or your community shape how you view leadership? Yeah, I think this is, I would say that more than anything, I'm like an accidental entrepreneur Hmm. um, and probably in a lot of ways, an accidental leader. Um, My parents were leaders in their own sphere, for sure. And they had bosses that some were good, some were bad, definitely had an impact on my leadership. But it wasn't really until I got to college that I was paying attention to any of it. You know, as a kid, I was going through my own struggles. Um... You know, I was I was an entrepreneur when I was in high school, but I didn't really categorize that way hmm. until later. Mm-hmm. I was running a recording studio out of my parents' basement. And for me, everything that I do is now because I'm an adult, it's a business. But most of the time, it was just because I wanted to do it. Like I never had I was never really trying to make money any any time or most of the time to be honest you were just curious Uh, yeah I was just kind of going and even as I got into like adulthood that was still happening because I didn't have like a really good framework for business at all and so it wasn't until at our consulting which was 2019 that I started to be like man I actually have to figure out like how to take this somewhere Hmm. because that's when the I think that purpose started bubbling up a lot before I was just curious and I was going and I was going, I was going, if I made money, it was cool. And it kept me alive long enough to keep going and keep being curious and keep learning. But when Eric consulting him, I was like, man, I should get a business book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) At the tender age of what though? Uh, I was 19. Yeah. So it'd been four years of kind of doing random stuff um, and not really considering myself an entrepreneur really to be honest mm-hmm. i just was i always just felt like i was gonna do something and so <laughs> i just did stuff <laughs> so you just did stuff. i just did stuff and i was terrible at, i had 50 million different jobs all the time i was working at i remember when i lived in georgia i was living i was working at a bagel shop i was working at a pe- like a personal pizza shop and i was working at like a school as a janitor like i was just oh my gosh and these were just Things that I did to keep funding my like little unique ideas. And then I would quit those jobs randomly for a couple months and live off the ideas. And then oh once gosh. I ran out of money, I'd go right back to working three or four jobs. And that was a lot of my life before being a parent. Yeah. <laughs> and parenthood changes things, <laughs> oh doesn't it? God, yeah. What a blessing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. So your values then, you discovered this this passion for working with parents adopted children and foster care, foster parents. So there was this sense of value and commitment that that guided you into that. So talk a little bit about your kind of your values and your guiding principles. What what informs that work 
and how do you see it infused into every part of of your life and leadership? Yeah. So in particular to identity, I I love my parents and I think that my parents did the best they could, but there were a lot of things that um, happened in my childhood that um, I think could have gone differently if my parents had the right resources and tools, mm. especially around me discovering my own identity, me dealing with adoption and that impact. And, um, you know, I, I my attack because I grew up for those first two years with my birth mother, um, my attachment um, style is very different than um, some other children. So it's much, I would say that I'm probably much closer to somebody who was relinquished into foster care and grew up in foster homes. That attendance out because I had those first two years of my birth mother and then it randomly stopped. Yeah. And so I experienced that um rejection. Um now there is a there is a trauma attachment that happens even when you're relinquished as an infant, but it's still different than having those two years with your birth mother. And so I have had a ton of issues with abandonment and rejection throughout my life and never had the language or the framework to really mm. deal with it, even though I think my parents could sense it and know they also didn't have the language or the tools to deal with it. Um, and so for me, the mission with identity was how do we change the experience of these children? So we create tools for foster and adoptive parents. And the reason we do that is not because we don't think that it's important to create tools for the kids, but because the number one person who has the biggest impact on children are their parents. Mm -hmm. And so for us to change the experience that children have is not to create um, in one way it is, but in my view, the biggest way that we can have an impact on children is by changing the way that their parents parent. Mm -hmm. um, and so when it comes to guiding principles behind that, it's all around empathy and love. And so I believe that all parents go into parenting and maybe it's naive, but I want to believe that all parents adopt or foster because they want to be good parents. You don't you don't come into being parenthood all, often wanting to be a bad parent. And so what I think is that if we lead with love, empathy, and grace, we will create an environment for parents to learn and navigate through tough topics, mm -hmm. topics that will make us insecure as parents. But if we do it in the right way, and we can really get parents to understand and, and embrace the ideas and embrace it into their parenting, um, we create a whole different uh, experience and a whole generate a whole different generation of children. And so that's the guiding principles of identity, really, is this love, empathy, and grace. And then I think for like an internal thing, that's internal, but then it's also out external, right? A lot of internal stuff for me and identity, and when I think about who we work with, is all about, and I've been I've been looking to, I'm gonna try to synthesize this the best way I can because it's really hard. There is a magic in a certain type of parent trainer. And I really go and look for this. It's very hard to find. But when the best example I can give of this, let me do this. We have a trainer who does trauma-informed parenting. She's writing the trauma-informed parenting practical guide. When I met her, her name is Amy. When I met her, I was just wanting to meet her, see if she would be a good trainer. And instead, she told me this powerful story of how when she adopted her child she realized hey this child might deal with some trauma and some abandonment issues mm -hmm. and that led her to go and get her degree in psychology and then her master's to become a counselor and then start this practice around helping these families and when i when i see that that encompasses everything that we want to embrace that identity as well. Because what it is, is not only seeing a problem and thinking, oh, other people have that problem. We can probably make some money counseling them because you can, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's saying, no, this my child is going to have these issues. And I want to support my child mm -hmm. the best that I can. Yes. And for me, it's like, I want to support other adopted kids the best that I can. Yes. And so Amy has this magic to her trainings because she's not just bringing in expertise. No. She's bringing in this real life love for this because this, her love for her child led her to this work. Yes. 
So you bring in a new magic. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, that is internal identity. Mm -hmm. Whenever we're looking to bring somebody in to lead a training or whenever I'm making a partnership with somebody, I look for that. We have the same thing with hair with uh, Taria, who wrote the hair care guide. Taria accidentally fell into that work. A friend of hers, you know, asked her to help her friend who had just adopted a black child. And then she was like, oh, there's probably other kids that need this. And so that mom who she helped had her other friends create a little group and Taria helped them all. It wasn't wow. a business, but it was a passion that was started a passion. that started to bubble. And then Taria said, well, hey, if I'm going to do this more, I should probably be certified in trauma-informed care because who knows what kind of kids are going to show up. Mm-hmm. So she took this extra initiative. She had this thoughtfulness. And you can see the purpose bleed out of those people. Yes. And if it's not bleeding out in this field, and it's just mundane, and it's just a presentation, and it's just key points, and it's just takeaways, and it's just do this, do this, do this, and you'll be okay. Yeah. Then you miss all the magic that comes with really good parenting. Because really good parenting is all about intentionality. Mm-hmm. There's um, the word. Yeah. And so, yes, exactly, exactly. And so that is, I think, the magic of who we bring into inside identity. I look for people who have really deep passion in their craft and have a really deep passion to see their craft impact more people. And what I find so compelling about that is that the parents, the adoptive and foster parents that don't get the training, don't know what they don't know. So they, so they have no clue. clue. Your parents, for example, they hope for the best, right? They did the best they could and hope for the best. What Amy experienced that completely shifted how she saw the needs. Yeah. Yeah. And so that became her her passion. Yeah. When you have that kind of passion, things come out that would have never come out before. Yes. yes. And so like Amy, Amy did like six months of trainings, like every month for us in the, it was last fall. And um, in one of her trainings, she talked about um, the type of attachment uh, issues that can happen even with infant adoptions. And she says, one of the best things that we can do for infants that we're adopting is just ask the birth mother for a t-shirt that smells like her because babies are used to their smell. Yes. And then to just ask her what kind of music and show she was watching so you can have them in the background. Because even a baby, when they're separated from the only thing that's familiar with them, can panic. Oh, yeah. But I would have never, ever thought of that. Mm -mm. I would have never thought, I'm adopted and I've spent time with this. I would have never thought to suggest a parent to do that. Yeah. But Amy has such a passion and such a dedication yeah. and such a mission to figure out how can we make this experience the best for every child mm-hmm. that she's in that research, she's finding it, and then she's bringing it in a way that parents can really embrace it. And yeah, what I learned from them is super impactful for even me. Mm-hmm. I, I need to make a sidebar comment here. And this is listeners. I want you to pick up on this because- One of the reasons why I wanted you to hear from Isaac is that here's a man who noticed, paid attention to what he was passionate about, saw his sphere of influence and his stepping boldly and confidently, not because he had all the answers, but because he had a passion for these kids and these parents. And so listeners, what do you have a passion for? What are you super passionate about? that you almost can't not step exactly. step into it right yeah. what what is it that that compels you so i just wanted to put that aside and plant that little seed in the listener's mind because they're hearing all of this passion coming from you and the passion that you told about the two two women and the magic that happens with mm-hmm. that passion Absolutely. right and we need more people yeah. who are going to tap into their passions to be able to change make change in our world absolutely yeah yeah. you have to purpose purpose exhilarates you Mm -hmm. um and it it adds another layer to life yeah yeah so love empathy and grace yeah love those three words love those three words and again we're going to come back to that 
<laughs> that and and the courageous, courageous. Yeah. right? I was thinking authentic, but courageous. <laughs> We're going to come back to those four. Yeah. Yes. So tell us about your favorite leadership quote. Yeah, absolutely. I'll read it real quick. Extreme ownership. Uh, Leaders must own everything in their world. There was no one else to blame by Jocko Willink. Mm. Read it again one more time. Uh, Extreme ownership. Leaders must own everything in their world. There's no one else to blame. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. For me, I would describe myself as a little bit of a chaotic person. And I don't mean that in necessarily a negative way. It just means that uh, I got a lot going on in my brain a lot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the reasons that I have my little side hobby business is, is so I can get some of that out. Yeah. But one of the downsides of that is that you can be managing so many things that you start to let things slip through the cracks. Mm. Um, and one of my favorite things when I read this book that's called Extreme Ownership was that it made it really clear that when you're leading people, these people have signed up to trust you they've signed up to work with you mm-hmm. they've signed up to in most of the time um count on you for income mm-hmm. and so there's a there's this big responsibility that comes with leading people and i have been around leaders and worked for leaders who have found every excuse to blame me or a coworker or anybody else on an issue that just with this, just with a couple of business books I read, I knew it was their fault. Mm. And you can't mm-hmm. say that when you're a nine to five employee. No. Um, but I watched it happen so many times. And when I read this book, it really framed everything for me that no matter what happens as a leader, you have to take complete ownership of the people you hire and then the things that they do. Mm. Because there is no one else to blame. And if you think that there's someone else to blame, there will always be someone else to blame. Mm. And so when things go wrong, it will always be somebody else's fault. And so if you don't own everything and you're not extreme about that, then there will always be this internal loophole. And that will, I think, only lead to failure. So leadership always depends on the top of the of the chain. I don't think that it means that it always um, relies on the top of the chain. Okay. What it means that um, because I lead at identity um, and because people who work at identity or work with identity um, are hired by me, it means that when I hire somebody to write a guide and I give them not clear instructions or I maybe even naively say, hey, like I trust you to do your creative thing but then it comes back not how I would want it mm-hmm. or they take it in a direction that I didn't approve or, you know, whatever it may be. I have to look at that not as, um, well, they knew what practical guides were. They knew how the other ones looked. What I have to say is, no, no, no. I left room for this person to go a direction that I didn't want them to go by not being clear and owning this situation. Yes. Um, and so Teams and leadership is all a group effort. Yeah. But when you're the CEO or you're leading a team, you have a responsibility to not only be clear and concise with those people, but to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you can't do those things, it leads to all these other issues. And when those issues happen, it's very easy for you as a leader to then say, well, well you saw how they did it. So why do you think you could do it like that? And then you're blaming. You're right. Or yes. they miss something and then you're blaming. Mm-hmm. But wasn't it your job to set up yes. the schedule to make sure people knew things? Right, right. And so there's this trickle effect when I think leaders don't own yes. everything. When they don't understand that whether it's a department, a person, or a project, or a whole company, you have to encompass that. Yeah. Um, because when things start to crack you're always going to want to shift the blame. So ownership starts at the top. Yeah, I think ownership starts at the top. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And then then that needs, and every person you put into place. Needs to embrace that as well. Right, absolutely. Because even though I always think the buck stops with the leader, you bring people in with that same mentality. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, this is your project and I want to give you everything you need to make this project the best potential, but this is your project. So you want to also 
as a leader, encourage other people to lead in their projects. So for them to embrace an extreme ownership mentality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you hired those people. And so I think if you if you look at failure only through the lens of whoever you hired, you fail to grow as a leader because you can't do the self-reflection about, well, why did that actually go sideways? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Self-reflection. Add yeah. that to the list. It's huge. Yep. Self-reflection. Absolutely. We're yeah. going yeah. to come back to that one too. Hope you're keeping track. I'm trying. <laughs> okay. Courage, self-reflection, love, empathy, grace. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got them. I got them. Yep. We'll be coming back. So this idea of looking around at the people around you, the people who are listening, um, you have this perspective on leadership. I would like to to ask you, what what would you want to invite them to consider people who are listening to you right now, what do you, what what would you like them to consider about when it comes to leadership that you think is just really important? I think the number one mistake that I've made as a leader is clarity, and I still I still work at doing this more and more, um, and I catch myself shortcutting clarity, and then I have mm-hmm. to go back and I have to try, mm-hmm. and I'll it'll might delay a project because I wanted to send a one pager and hope that they figured it out, um, and. Um, I think it is Brene Brown that says, like, clear is kind. I think that's a quote from mm-hmm. Dare to Lead. Mm-hmm. And I've thought about that ever since I read Dare to Lead, actually. Yeah. Um, because clear is kind. Clear is kind. Um, when we bring people on, um, no matter how creative or how much leaders they are, um, when this is our thing in a sense, like, Identity is a thing for everybody and everybody who works there, but it's the thing that I started. And mm-hmm. so I also answer for it more than anybody else. And so when we bring people into that sphere, the kindest thing we can do for them is actually be really clear about what we want. Um, <laughs> because even if you want their creativity to impact it, mm-hmm. It's still really good to have a clear set of like, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want and create the room for them to say, hey, it would be better for you to do it this way, to pitch you ideas, to to craft things differently. But to give somebody a very clear picture of what you're envisioning and what you want out of this, um, and even if it's just the outcomes that you want, Mm creates a whole different scenario for somebody. Yes. Yeah. And so I've tried to be, I've tried to grow at this. And one of the, one of the areas that I grow on this is I always basically, I'll say what I want, but I'll say, you know, I understand that this isn't necessarily a domain that I'm an expert in though. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I'm very open for you to take this and to pitch me how certain areas of this should be better, but here are the things that are non-negotiable for me. Mm, excellent. Yeah. And so, yeah. yes, it, it, it niches down on clarity and making sure that the thing that you want is actually happening, but there is room for those people to do what they're experts in. Yeah. Because people miss that a lot too. Mm-hmm. They miss that we don't hire people just to do what we can do. We hire people to do things better than we can do them, mm. which mm-hmm. means that even though you have to be clear about the outcomes that you want, you do want to leave room for that person to do their expertise. Right. Um, and that's right. a craft. That's something you have to learn how you work with somebody. You have to be dedicated to spending time with these people and figuring out your communication style and and what are your actual non-negotiables with certain projects. Yeah. But it's it's an art, I think. And it's something that you kind of only, I think, learn by action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still learning. And I love the how you phrased it, non-negotiables. So important to be clear on what is what is so important to you. It goes back to the values, how you want it to and need it to align with your the outcomes that you're looking for. That there are just there are just lines in the sand. It needs to be this way. Yeah, exactly. You figure out how to do it in your creative way. Yeah. But bottom line is it needs to be grounded in love, empathy, and grace. Exactly. For example. Exactly. Right? Yep. So core Non-nego- values. Core values. Yep. Non-negotiable. Exactly. It needs to be grounded in love, empathy, and grace yep. no matter what. And when we start something, 
so like um like the practical guides like they're um for me I wrote the first one but I didn't really plan for this to be a thing I wrote the first one and I realized that it was kind of a really interesting customer acquisition strategy Hmm. because we didn't just it wasn't just like a guy, but it was actually really valuable. Yeah. So I was like, yes. I was like, oh man, this makes a lot of sense because it follows like our equipping parents and empowering children. Mm-hmm. And it gets people into what we're doing overall. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they can mm-hmm. see this small thing from identity and it can cue them into the big thing that we're trying yes. to do. Um, yeah. And so... For the practical guides, I had to, once it was time to like bring other people in to write about stuff that I wasn't an expert in, I had to kind of sit down and think about like, what what are the practical guides? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so like with the first one that we did with Taria, it was just like, I don't want it any longer than 60 pages. Mm-hmm. It has to stay within the short framework and it has to be really practical. Mm-hmm. And we we had to go back and forth on outlines yes. for like the first couple of weeks of figuring it out because I was also figuring out. Mm-hmm. But I did have these two things that I was like, hey, like they're practical guides. They need to be short and they need to have like, like literal steps. They need to have like practical steps that a parent can flip it open and actually do exactly yeah. what you're saying. It can't just be a theory book. It can't just be why is this important? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so... It took some time, but now because we've done one, now the next two that we have, we even have a have, have an even better process, right. which is like this is how we're doing, you know, royalty structures, and this is how we're doing payouts, and this is how mm. you know the and and when it comes to the creative process, here's yeah. exactly what we're gonna do, and here's exactly what we expect from you, and here's exactly how things are gonna flow, and so it it takes time, but you start to create a system. Mm-hmm. And then somebody can come in and write a practical guide and bring their creativity and their expertise. You can say, awesome, just make sure it fits in this. Mm-hmm. And if this doesn't work for you, make sure we talk about it before you head too far down the right direct, wrong direction. Right. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, it's 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 tougher than I ever would have thought. Yeah. So cl- it, clarity can come later. Like you might create oh, yeah. something and not and not really know exactly what it was that you just did. Yeah. But the other piece of that that I think is so important is taking the time to be reflective. Yeah. So that you can speak at clear, clearly about what your needs are and what your intentions are and, and what your requests and offers are. Um, and I think one of the big mistakes that folks make is that they're just constantly moving, constantly yeah. moving, constantly doing. Yeah. And don't take the time to stop and block out the distractions and say, yeah. let me get clear on this. Yeah. How does this fit with our values? How does this yeah. fit with what we're, you know, you got to take that time. time. It's go back to the word intentional, yeah, right? It's sometimes I'll just be like in bed and I'll be like, man, I really, I really let down that person. Like mm-hmm. I'll just be like, man, uh, and I'll know, like, I'll just know, I'll be like tomorrow I have to go and do this. And one of the things that we're working on right now is like getting um, like a workable prototype of the app that people can do like a walkthrough and we can get people excited about it. And like product design and all those things are new for me. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I knew that I gave the person who was doing it just such a bad scope of work. And it started to like be a little bit heavy on me. I was like, man, I didn't take enough time to Mm. really go through and be specific about every single page in a really detailed and important way. Mm-hmm. And so like, I just remember like the next two days I just got on camp and I created like a real presentation, mm-hmm. like a real page by page user flow. Yeah. I Googled and I just, I was like, and I, but it's just because I had like, I, at night I went home and I was like, so what, these are all the things in motion. What is not going well? And I was like, I can tell that we're about to have an issue with this project if I don't fix it. Yeah. And it was, she didn't even do anything yet. It wasn't that, that she, she did something wrong. Yeah. I just had done that enough times to know I've just set this person up for failure, but the only person who it's going to really hurt the most is me. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they're going to spend their creative energy and time thinking that they're doing something really great because they're really talented, creative. Yes. But since I wasn't clear about what I actually wanted, they're going to have to be redoing it a million times. 
What a um, waste of resources. Well, time. yeah, what a waste of resources and time. And what a what a way to create frustration between somebody that you want to build a relationship mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these are hard things, but it's you have to be so honest with yourself if you're leading people. Mm-hmm. Because you you're gonna fail so many times. Right. That if you're not reflective about it and you're not willing to figure out where you can improve and what can be different the next time, mm-hmm. then you're going to get in a cycle. Yeah. And a lot, I, I see it all the time. There are cycles of leadership who leaders who do the same things over and over mm-hmm. and over. Um, and they just expect that hiring somebody better will fix it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think very often that is somebody who is not taking extreme ownership. If you think a hire is going to fix the issue, I think that's often not the case. Mm. Now mm-hmm. there are there are cases, but clarity is kind. Yes, being clear is kind, um, yeah. and you might get lucky and find the perfect employee who's can work with you and shape it and figure out how to work with you. But I think nine times out of ten, it becomes an issue of you didn't set the person you hired up for success. So what did you do when you realized that? Oh my gosh, I didn't, and she hasn't started yet. Yeah. And you're laying there in bed saying, Oh, I didn't, you know, I left her down. Yeah. So, what did you do? Oh, I just sent her a quick message. I was like, Hey, like, I'm going to create a better scope of work. I don't think that one is good. Just give me like a day or two. And I just, like, uh, you know, I just woke up and just, I woke up early and would just like go to like a Starbucks and yeah. just like, I would sit on Canva and I'd just like, re- I just, I'd be creating the presentation, but then I'd also be like okay. Googling better images because like it's also like you want to give them inspiration and so it was like there's all these elements that I just shortcutted and so yeah. I was like I was like I gotta just put in a little bit of extra weight here mm-hmm. and so like I found like for every page I found an example of another product and the like the features that I wanted on that page and why that I chose that picture and like okay. here here are, like the really important features for this page yes and here's how it's how they correlate and so, like stuff like that, she couldn't have read your mind. She wouldn't have. She would, she would never, have never guessed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just the more that I did it, the more stuff came up for me. Also, stuff that probably would have come up after she was finished. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, cool. This is also a good exercise for me because if I'm not putting the right amount of energy here, mm-hmm. if I'm not, it then that's not even going to be equipping parents. Like if I'm not putting the right amount of energy here, right. that's not even going to fulfill our mission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so. Yeah, it's it's a tough one because me, I want to stay moving also. Yeah. You know, I'm like, all right, we're getting the practical guide series moving. And now we're like figuring out how we're going to do the next set of marketing around it. So I'm also focusing on that. Right. And then I'm also focusing on, you know, kind of like our company relaunch and and shooting this documentary. And wow. I'm also trying to get this product ready so that we can start creating videos and promos around it. But I have to do all those things really well. Mm-hmm. And to do those, you have to go slow but fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, it's, it takes, I think, a really deep reflection. Yeah. Because um, if you're not brutally honest with yourself about where you're failing in that, the next day, you're just going to spin the wheels the same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Why does it happen in the middle of the night? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll be trying <laughs> to go. Always happening yeah, to I'll be trying to go to sleep and just be like, man, I gotta <laughs> figure something else with this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's just yeah, it's it's the reality of it. And if you're if you're having, I feel like if you're having that issue sleeping, you're actually heading in the right direction. Okay. Because yeah. it's like I would rather not be able to sleep because I'm setting people up for failure yeah. than to sleep like a baby. And, you know, basically have everybody else stressed out and panicked <laughs> and not wanting to work with you. Yes. And it creates a whole another cycle of disaster oh, for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I've never heard lack of sleep <laughs> valued like that, but we'll go with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the ideal is just to be better in general. That's but... right. <laughs> oh, my golly. So each month in the Turning Points Leadership Community, we explore a theme around leadership. Through June, we are focusing on this concept of creative leadership, okay? I use the leadership framework in my coaching that comes from the leadership circle. Mm-hmm. And basically what that is, is that there are, there, and when it, it's, it's in the form of a circle. And in the top half of the circle are all the characteristics that are correlated positively with leadership effectiveness. In other words, these are things that the more 
effective you are in these areas, the better you are as a leader and more your your organization will succeed. And then there's this bottom half of the circle where if your leadership tendencies are grounded in that bottom half of the circle, that's okay. So, so we're really focusing on this whole idea of creative leadership. And so leadership circle defines that as things like being a personal learner, right. And, and the ability to bring out the best of people, right. And creating connections and collaborating and fostering team play and, and then that self uh, self awareness, right? Being willing to learn, um, being able to main compo- uh, maintain composure in high charge situations, um, authenticity. You mentioned right, yeah. your ability to show up fully as who you are and with integrity. Yeah. So and courage. That yeah, was the there word. It is, the courage. Yeah. There's actually a a part of this creative leadership area that's called courageous authenticity. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah being courageously authentic, being able exactly. to speak truth. I'll just say speak truth to power yeah. from a place of, of groundedness. Um, and then also that, and you've, you've hit on all of these pieces that, co- that awareness of the system and the continuous improvement yeah. and the productivity and paying attention to the community welfare, right? How yeah. the folks in your community are working together. And then of course, the last positive one is about achieving having strategic focus to achieve what it is that you that you have purpose and vision for and achieving those results and being decisive. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about creative leadership. And those are the mainstays. Yeah. So when you think about any of those and the concept of creative leadership, what comes to your mind? Yeah, I actually, resonates with you? I took something out of that, that article on creative leadership I, mean, I think you just touched on a little bit. I was going to read these little quotes here. This this kind of end of a paragraph here said, uh, self-awareness requires the intention to share tough thoughts and experience in service of others. Mm-hmm. Authenticity requires the ability to disregard what others might say. Systems awareness asks leaders to take a view of the whole system, letting go of the need to win. Achieving requires uh, requires releasing the pursuit of perfection. Yes. And I think those were my some of my favorite uh, rollouts of the creative leadership model. Yeah. Um, because it's just so true is that being really self-aware is something that is a is an act of service to people who you are leading. Mm. Um, it wait, is, wait, say that again. Self-awareness is an is, act of service act of service to people you are leading. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And that's also true in your personal life as well. I mean, like I said, like I've just, I feel like I've, you know, young people do this, but like I've just made so many mistakes on this path, Mm. both personally and professionally. And self-awareness has been the only thing that has turned those things around Mm. Um, because it's so very easy to stay the same. It's just is. Yes. There's so many benefits internally, selfishly to staying the same. Mm-hmm. But when you're self-aware, you're thinking, man, how does the experience for my son change by me not being a workaholic? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. How does my relationship with my partner also change by me spending one night away from the laptop and in doing some inactive service for her? Mm-hmm. Right. And so then you take mm-hmm. the same model into your leadership. By saying, like, how by me being self-aware, do these people that have trusted you start to benefit from working with you? Mm, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's huge. It's just it it's, it's personal and it's professional. Um, and leaders by nature are both le- most of the time leading in their personal and their professional mm-hmm. life. Absolutely. Um, and you ha- And leadership doesn't just stop at the professional life there is oh, the yeah. there is the personal leadership skills that that lay the groundwork for the results that you get externally when you're talking about the professional professional yeah. leadership um wow that's that is beautiful so as we as we leave this con- this concept of creative leadership i'm curious from our conversation today i mean we touched a lot of a lot of things 
And I have learned that when I ha- when I speak in streams of consciousness, there's always something that pops out to me that I maybe didn't observe before. So I'm curious, is there anything that, that just resonated with you in a different way yeah. since you were sharing all of this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if anything, it's it's a reminder, right? When we're when we're leading, we're also often a little isolated. Mm-hmm. And so to like everything we've been talking about is like it's like a it's like something that's on loop in my head. It's not really something that I maybe vocalize too often unless it's just to myself when I'm by myself. So I think one of the one of the biggest benefits of this conversation has been like, um, what a great reminder to myself to now go back and think about what I've done today and this week mm-hmm. and see have I even followed the own things that I shared here today. Yes. Because that's the truth of leadership is that we have these principles, but we're also bad at following them all the time. Very true. <laughs> yes. And so well that's the integrity piece. Are yeah. we actually walking exactly. walking the talk? Exactly. And it's 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 hard when you're managing different things and it's not an excuse. Mm-hmm. But one of the biggest benefits that I think by by being in communities like yours is that we're constantly reminded to keep doing it. Yes. Right? Because again, when you're isolated, you can be like, oh, I got to remember to be self-aware. I got to remember to communicate clear, communicate clear. Um, but you have that stressful day. You communicate badly. You are moving, moving, moving. You forget. Mm-hmm. And then it comes up a week later. Yeah. These conversations are helpful for, I think, recentering. And yeah. I feel very recentered in this philosophy. Um and so, yeah, that's been a really helpful part of this conversation. Yeah, leadership can't just reside in your head. It is active and it requires reflection yep. on on the steps that you've taken yep. and reeling back in and thinking about why that went well, why that didn't go mm-hmm. well, what were the conditions under which that was happening. Exactly. Yeah. And where just, do I need to slow? Where? Yeah. Yeah. Where do I need to slow down so that I and fully live up to the mm-hmm. values that I want my leadership to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it goes back to all of the busyness that we get ourselves Absolutely. get ourselves into. You mentioned the Turning Points Leaders community and um that that community of practice online and listeners you heard it kind of in the pre-roll of of this episode, but this community is a place where it grounds you in, in leadership principles and gives you a place to have conversations with other leaders, these reflective conversations, so that you have a place to stop and slow down and reflect and to learn and to regroup. So thanks, Isaac, for mentioning the community in that, because I think it's it is part of this important reflective process and to have a, and you, you said when you were talked about the parents, the adoptive parents, they need a safe place, right? They need a community. Yep. Where they are safe to be able to um, talk about the vulnerabilities of if you're trying to lead with love and empathy and grace, and it's not always perfect. Absolutely. So yeah, we're all works in progress. (laughs) We are absolutely every (laughs) day. Oh my gosh. That's one of the reasons why I didn't want to do a podcast. Like I said, I would never do a podcast. And then I ended up doing a podcast, but of course, <laughs> I said, I didn't want to do a podcast because I don't want to come across as the one who has all the answers and, right. you know, yeah, because I'm just as fallible as anybody. Exactly. But, you know, you show up as your authentic self and you do the best yeah. you can. Absolutely. And, you know, we're all gifted in some way. And so we yeah. use those gifts. <laughs> and I think you are. And I think that's the, that's the purpose more than anything. That's why every time I try to give advice, I also ground it in how bad I am at it. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's not that I'm terrible at it. Mm-hmm. It's just that I'm not perfect at it because nobody's perfect nobody's at it. Nobody's perfect at it. And so I don't, I, I also don't want anybody to listen to me and feel like, oh, I don't know that I could do that because you can do it. Yeah. It took me years to learn how to do yes. it. It wasn't overnight. Yeah. And every day I, you know, I'll be like, oh, I just thought of that differently. And I've been trying to do that for a while. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I it was like, that. cool. I learned about that two years ago. And now I just saw how it got actually implemented yes. into my life. Awesome. Awesome. But yes. for those two years, I probably was not doing yep. it great. All sorry time. about that, folks. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> and that's, that's the self-reflection. That's the point. Yeah. The point isn't actually to be perfect. Mm-hmm. The point is to have a great philosophy that you can stand behind and that you can be encouraged by and see yourself in, while also understanding that because you're not a perfect person, you won't always 
live up to it. But when you don't live up to it, you have the direct line. There's no confusion. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. again, clarity is kindness. It's yes. also kindness to yourself. Yes. And so when I fail, I can look up and say, I just last night, or I just wrote down, or I said that I would not be that kind of leader. Mm-hmm. And so I need to go back now and apologize and clear that situation mm-hmm. up. Yeah. And so that's that's the purpose. Yeah. Not perfection, but constantly striving to get better. And as leaders, having grace for others who are also absolutely learning. Yeah. Huge one. Yeah. Huge one. Grace absolutely. is huge. Grace is huge. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Isaac, this has been an absolute delight it has. Yeah, um, chatting great. with you uh, today. And so what is the best way for people to connect with you to learn more about you and your work and perhaps even um, contract with you for your 20% <laughs> 20, hours. 20 hours a week or a month? Yeah, 20 hours. I also speak. So if anybody's awesome. looking for a speaker, um, I mostly speak on foster care and adoption, but I'm happy. I've been kind of uh, expanding topics and so happy to workshop something if it makes sense. Um, but just isaacetter.com. Uh, Isaac, I-S-A-A-C-E-T-T-E-R.com is really the best way. You can look me up on LinkedIn as well, uh, just Isaac Getter. Uh, but IsaacGetter.com will have a have like a sheet that you can fill out if you're interested in connecting in any way. Uh, and I'm usually pretty quick about responding to those. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, listeners, I really hope that you will connect with Isaac and check out his website. And he said it was IsaacGetter.com. Um, yeah, check it out. When do you think the app will be uh, yeah. coming out? So we're hoping in 2024, hoping top of the year, January or February 2024. Wow. People should be able to do the prototype walkthrough um, as early as the as the end of June. Wow! And so pretty soon uh, when you go to identitylearning.co, which is the website, mm. by July, you should actually be getting the chance. It'll offer you to do a demo. Um, and so it'll be really exciting to have people be able to do that. And then you can join the wait list. Oh, that's um, great. And so it'll be a really exciting time. And if they come to IsaacEdder.com, there's also the resources that you talked about that absolutely the guides. Yep. That you and so about. it'll have on my website, you'll be able to kind of read about me, but then it'll also link companies. And so you can find the identity website, you can find my my book, and then you can find the other ones we produce. Fabulous. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. And friends, I hope that you will connect with Isaac. And I also, as I said earlier in the podcast, you hear the um, passion with which Isaac speaks about his work and his intention around leadership and how he is making a difference. He he hasn't been granted some big title or position of privilege to, to do this work. He has created this out of his passion. And I encourage you to think about yourself through that same lens. What are you passionate about? How do you want to be the change you want to see in the world? And how are you stepping out to make those changes in your spheres of influence and to lead in in, uh, impactful ways? So I thank you for tuning into this month's episode of Turning Points in Leadership. I trust that you are walking away inspired ready to reflect on your leadership and how you can make a difference in your work or your community. So we'll see you next time for the next episode of Turning Points in Leadership. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to take a moment to like, share, and comment on today's episode. If you're not already a member of the Turning Points Leadership community, you can accelerate your development as a leader by joining today. You'll find the link to the community in the show notes. If you'd like to be a guest on Chris's show, send an email to turningpointsguest at liveworksatisfied.com. See you next time for more Turning Points in Leadership.